Welcome everybody. Good morning one more time. We're so glad that you've joined us here at Mill City Church. Merry Christmas to all of you as we get close to the, to the Christmas holiday. I hope you have some good plans of celebrating with uh, people who are close to you. Let's say a prayer as we look at the scripture this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you. Uh, thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus, that we remember this week. Um, there's just so many different ways that we're thankful for his presence in our lives, that he continues to be with us and to lead us and to comfort us and to challenge us. And we remember this week uh, his birthday and celebrate what an amazing gift it is that God, you sent him to come and, and show us what it's like to really be human and to have relationship with you and to be loved by you and to enter into your grace and your mercy through his death and resurrection. So we're grateful. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, uh, I'm old, and so when I was a kid at Christmas, which I was explaining to my children at home, was in the 1980s, which I'm not sure they even knew was a time period. But in the 1980s, one of the best gifts that you could get as a young child was a transformer. Now, this is, I think, even before they had all the fancy movie transformers where people are blowing things up. This is just like a simple truck or a simple car. Those Gen Xers might know what I'm talking about. And it looks like you're just getting a regular truck or a regular car. And then, lo and behold, when you get it, you realize it transforms into a robot. And that was pretty cool in the 1980s. So not only do you get a cool truck or car, but you get a cool truck or car that becomes something else. There's more than meets the eye. That was the motto of the Transformers. When you look at something, it looks like it's just a truck or it might just be a car, but there's more than meets the eye and it transforms into something even cooler. And as we've been talking about the book of Revelation the last few weeks, I thought that it might help to think about the book of Revelation kind of like one of these Transformer toys because there's more than meets the eye when you first read the book of Revelation. John Donne, a couple weeks ago in a sermon, uh, as we began our study of the book of Revelation, uh, said that the purpose, one of the purposes of the book of Revelation is to reveal things to us. And sometimes we might read it and think it's a confusing book with lots of, lots of symbols and characters we don't understand. But John taught us that it is intended to help reveal something to us that we didn't understand before. And so today what I want to do is I want to use one of the parts of chapter 12 in Revelation to reveal something to us uh, about the story of Jesus' birth, the Christmas story. So let's start first with the Christmas story and just kind of remember uh, what was going into these moments that we're about to remember as we celebrate Christmas this week. So let's look at Luke chapter 2 uh, as a starting place. Here's how Jesus' birth is described in that chapter. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time for the baby came to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. 
So we have this scene that maybe some of you are familiar with if you've been celebrating Christmas for a while. Mary found out that she was pregnant, even though uh, she had not yet been married to, to Joseph. God told her that she was going to give birth to a child uh, that was God's son. And Joseph decided to still get married to Mary, even though she had become pregnant, because an angel visited him and told him that it was okay for him to marry her. And then this governor decides to count all the people in the area, and they have to travel to his hometown of Bethlehem, even though she's amazingly pregnant, nine months pregnant, and they have to travel by donkey, which I'm sure was not a comfortable ride. If you see a picture of Mary on a donkey, she's almost always smiling, and that couldn't have been the case, right? Like, that's not a comfortable ride. And then there's no room for them to stay at a regular hotel or an inn, and so they end up staying in this room that's usually kind of attached to a normal house that the animals would stay in at night called a manger. Um, and so here's some pictures of what a first century uh, manger setting or the space that Jesus was born in might have looked like. He's born in this stable with these animals and Mary and Joseph. Super ordinary birth, kind of inconvenient location based on the fact that they had to travel to this other town. And if you look at this story in just kind of the, the raw description of what happened to these folks, you might say, this is just a teenage girl giving birth to a, a child, a boy, in a town that they're not from. Um, but there's a whole lot more going on in this story than just that, right? There's more than meets the eye, to use the transformer language. And so to really understand some of what's happening in this moment, we have to go backward in the Bible, and then we have to go forward in the Bible. So if we go backward in the Bible to the story of Genesis 3, here's a, a picture of a woman who is tempted in the Garden of Eden, uh, Eve, by a serpent. The Bible begins with this story of Adam and Eve being deceived by a serpent in the garden that God gave to them. And they became convinced that they could be like God if they ate the fruit from this tree of knowledge and they came to understand good and evil. And so they ate it on the hopes that they could actually be gods themselves. And what they found out very quickly is that the serpent had tricked them and that when they ate the fruit, they became aware of their own nakedness and they became aware of good and evil, but it didn't make them equal with God. And so God had to remove them from the garden that God had created for them and God told Eve that she would then experience pain in childbirth, but that her child would crush the head of the serpent one day. Okay, now fast forward from that story all the way to Revelation chapter 12, which is one of our texts for the day. And here's what it says in Revelation chapter 12. Now keep in mind that the book of Revelation uses symbols and symbolic meaning to help us understand uh, other truths that it's trying to communicate. Okay, so here's Revelation 12, verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth 
so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who, quote, will rule all the nations with an iron scepter, end quote. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. So, okay, this is kind of a crazy scene, right? We have this woman who's cloaked with the sun and the moon. I have a picture of it for you here. And she's getting ready to give birth. And the woman has these 12 stars over her head. And most interpreters think that the 12 stars represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And that the woman most likely represents all the people of God uh, throughout all of Scripture and into the future. Some other interpreters also think that it could be a symbol of Mary, as Mary is giving birth to the Messiah, the Son, the one who is going to rule. And then you have this crazy dragon, a dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns. And this probably represents uh, the city of Rome and the empire of Rome because Rome famously had seven, seven hills in it and, so, uh, and seven rulers who, who um, are represented by those heads and their crowns. And then another ten horns, which likely represented sub-leaders, people with authority underneath the, the kings of Rome, the people who were leading in Rome. And so this dragon is a common figure in the Bible that is used to represent evil. And so we get this symbol of the dragon representing opposition to God's rule and reign. The dragon is trying to stop God from doing what God is trying to do, save the people that were created in God's image uh, and, and accuse them of doing wrong and confuse them about what it is that God wants for them. And in this scene, you have the dragon literally waiting in front of this woman who's pregnant to devour this child as it is born. The text right around here later tells us that the dragon represents the devil, the personification of evil in Revelation. And this devil or dragon wants to do anything it can to confuse God's people and make them think that anything else is more important than God. So just like in the first garden story in Genesis, this dragon figure wants to convince people that uh, to put their trust in anything other than God revealed in Jesus. The story uh, in Revelation kind of unfolds and critiques Rome as an empire, but is as good of a message as uh, it was then for us today. That the devil or the dragon wants people to trust that human leaders can save us and keep us safe, for example. That trust that having a lot of money or a lot of possessions can bring us happiness or a sense of purpose. Trust that our military strength or technological sophistication will help us stay secure. The dragon figure in Revelation wants us to worship anything other than God, to make something in our lives more important than God, to worship other leaders like they did in Rome where you'd worship the Caesar or the king, to worship success, to worship relationships, to worship happiness, to worship safety, to worship security, anything to distract us from putting our trust in God and allowing Jesus to be our Lord and our Savior. The dragon doesn't care what we trust in or what we worship as long as it isn't Jesus. So this dragon is waiting for this son to be born in this symbolic picture 
in Revelation chapter 12. Let's talk about the son for a second. The woman gives birth to a son who the text says will rule with an iron scepter. And it's actually a direct quote in this passage from Psalm chapter 2, where the Messiah, the Savior, is predicted and, and described as somebody who will rule with an iron scepter. So the author, John, of the book of Revelation says, this son is one who will rule with an iron scepter. Again, a signal that this is the Messiah, the Savior. This son is Jesus. The dragon wants to devour that baby as soon as it is born, but the dragon is too slow. The boy is caught up into God's presence and taken into God's throne. The woman flees to a safe place that God had prepared for her ahead of time. The woman representing again the church or God's people or Mary and all those things together. There's a whole lot more that we could unpack on these symbols in Revelation, but I want to go back now to the scene of Jesus being born in the manger. The symbols in Revelation help us have a much deeper understanding that there's way more than meets the eye when Jesus is being born in this very ordinary place, in this very ordinary town, to seemingly ordinary parents. There is, in fact, a cosmic battle going on when Jesus is being born. This battle between good and evil, between God and the devil. And the birth of Jesus marks the entry of God into human form. God becomes human in Jesus. And God's great plan to rescue human beings by becoming a human being and taking on personally the sin and the evil that had plagued the world since the day of Adam and Eve. The devil, the personification of evil, the representative or the symbol of evil, knows that this baby is going to be a big problem, but is unable to do anything about it. So for the people in Jesus' time, many people didn't see what God was doing through Jesus, either at his birth or later in his life. All they saw was a baby being born in a barn. Even when Jesus was an adult, many people, including people in his own family, didn't recognize the powerful work that God was doing through Jesus. They kept saying, isn't this just Joseph, the carpenter's son? It's easy to miss what God is doing, sometimes right in front of us. And we need help to see what's happening in our everyday lives. Books like the book of Revelation can help us to understand that there's really a lot going on behind the scenes, even in the midst of the everyday experiences that we're having. So, how does this help us now, today, as you think about this week and maybe even how you're going to go about celebrating Christmas? We are no doubt going through extraordinary times. This year has been one of the craziest years that most of us can remember or have lived through. But there's way more than meets the eye in what we're experiencing in the world right now. This isn't just about coronavirus or about um, the various different pandemics that we're struggling through. There is a genuine struggle between good and evil continuing to this day. God and the devil are at battle in the world that we live in. And the devil, the dragon, the, the evil in the world is doing everything it can to draw our trust away from Jesus and toward anything else. We see the effects of this evil around us every single day. That Revelation teaches us that it's our calling to try to be, remain as faithful witnesses to Jesus in the midst of these really challenging times. Faithful witness just means remembering to look for God's presence and leading in your everyday life and realizing that even though a moment or an interaction can seem like a really ordinary thing, 
there may be a whole lot more going on behind the scenes that uh, God is really doing in, the, in those interactions that you have. Be willing also, don't just look for God's presence in your everyday life, but be willing to look at our own lives and ask some really hard questions at this time. Is there any way that I or we have given more importance to our politics, to our finances, to our relationships, to our own pride than we have to our relationship with God and our commitment to follow God's leading in our lives and the example of Jesus? Those are really hard conversations to have, but a big part of this section of Revelation is a judgment. It's a judgment of the empire of Rome, but not just of the empire of Rome, of any system or group of people who brings oppression to other folks, who uses economic means to hold other people down, who uses power to force people or confuse people to act in ways that are good for them, but not good for the people who are involved. There are all sorts of examples of how revelation is a critique and a judgment against the ways of life that God hates. And God is at work to battle and defeat those forms of evil, even in our own time. And it's important for us to reflect and not just assume that we have no responsibility for when those things are happening in our world. We might, and we need to be self-reflective enough to say, is there any way that I've given more importance to these other things in my life than to really uh, affirm my commitment to following wherever Jesus would lead? And finally, faithful um, being faithful in this moment, a faithful witness in this moment, means telling the story of how God saved the world through Jesus. Jesus didn't save us by overpowering people with military might. He didn't save us by gaining popularity and power through politics. He didn't save us by securing the most money. But instead, he saved us by living the life of a poor man from nowhere town, and giving up his life voluntarily so that evil and sin could be defeated through his suffering, through his death, and through his resurrection. That's who our King is. That's who our Lord and Savior is. It has been a ridiculously tough year for the Binders. My grandfather passed away recently. My grandmother passed away, his wife of 69 years, earlier in the spring. And I was at the funeral uh, listening to the pastor give a sermon at my grandfather's memorial, and he did a terrific job. But one line stuck with me. He said, it's been a tough year for everyone, and then you meet the Binder family. We have gone through some significant struggles. I know the year has been hard for everyone. Um, But as I look back on this year in the midst of a lot of hardship and suffering and uncertainty and trial, I can see very clearly where God has been present. And I'm have been trying to tell as many people as will listen to me the story of how it is that God has been present in the midst of some really hard things. And not only present, but that God has brought protection and healing and reassurance in some moments where we were not sure how we were going to keep going at times. And God has also given us the chance to kind of reflect and say, where have we contributed to uh, the suffering and the challenges that other people are experiencing and how can we correct those things in our own lives. God is giving all of us a chance to tell the story about how God has been with us even in the midst of this crazy year and how God is challenging us to change and become more like Jesus as we enter into the year 2021 
so that some of the evil and suffering that we have influence over can change and be different. That is God's call on our life. These are such important moments we're living through right now. Every single day. And they might just seem like regular moments to you. Maybe some of the days seem a lot like the day before. But there's more than meets the eye in the moments we're living through right now. We have opportunities to love people in ways that have a big impact when people are experiencing such hard circumstances. We have the chance to give up some of what we have of our own time, of our own finances, of our own listening ear, of our own skills or expertise, and show love and compassion to people in a time when they desperately need it. Look for those opportunities this week. Don't let them pass you by. Don't assume that every moment is a regular mundane moment. Show the love of Jesus in small ways and large ways as we celebrate the birth of Jesus, a boy born in a manger who saved the whole world. Merry Christmas, everybody. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Uh, We can't even begin to understand all that you accomplished through your life, through your death, through your resurrection. But we open our hands and we receive again the gift that you are to each of us. Help us to see your presence. Help us to listen to the hard questions that you want to ask us about our own lives. And also, God, just help us to continue to tell the story of where you have been with us and where you have sustained us in the midst of this hard year. We love you and we celebrate your birthday this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.